Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes and Demise. My name is John. That's Ian. Hey, it's it's me. I'm here. It, it us. Wait, did we think of an episode title? I do have one. Because oh. it's TBD incoming. Because if you take Theris Beyond Death and then you just look at the acronym. Oh my god, I hate TBD. it. TBD. <laughs> I was I looked at it, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We gotta stop the podcast. I we don't have a title. Oh, damn it. I got got. I got got so good. Today is December 17th. Apologies for not recording last week. I was inoperable. Um but we're here this week. Um and then Brief disclaimer at the start of the episode, we're not going to be recording next week because it's Christmas Eve, and we're not going to be recording the week after that because it's going to be New Year's. So, have fun with your friends and family, everybody. Yes, have fun with your friends and family. And if you don't have friends or family and you're just hanging out by yourself, that's cool too. Just have fun. Stay safe. No drinking and driving. Yeah, no, don't do that. It's bad. Um, So, we're going to talk a little bit about Theros, a little bit about uh, the BNR announcements this Monday. A little bit about a couple other things here and there. Uh, before we get into that, first, we're going to turn our eyes to the community. Uh, Vintage Cube is up on Magic Online. Yay. I haven't drafted it yet. Boo. I am 11 and 4, <laughs> with no record worse than 2 and 1. How many white weenie decks? Yes. Okay. That answers that question. They're all white weenie. I've actually posted all of my decks on Twitter, so if you go to my Twitter, you will you will see them. Uh, chilling out there. All right, I'm gonna boo you for that one because <laughs> John, it's, it's cute, yes. man. Try something else for once. Yeah, but it's always open. I can't help myself. It, it's because you know. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even gonna try this. Not Anyways, even uh, gonna bother. Yeah, there's Beyond Death sport previews have begun. Uh, they're kind of doling them out piecemeal. Uh, a little, a couple days ago, we're it, gonna talk about a couple of those. Yeah, it kicks in fully. I th- I want to say two weeks from now, like right yeah, around New I Year's. Think, yeah, right after Christmas. We do not have one this this go round. Won't want. Man. We'll talk and about the other, other ones, thing, though. <laughs> we will talk about the other ones. And this weekend was Command Fest DC, which you were at. Oh, so much fun. So last week, actually two weeks ago, I went to uh, PAX Unplugged as well. And mm-hmm. I got to do a two-headed giant with the mystery boosties. Uh, those things are so cool. Seriously, I can't hype them enough. If you have a chance to do a mystery booster draft or sealed event, do it. I did it with my wife. Uh, we went one, one, and one. Uh, I, I just want to say that uh, pastimes didn't. I don't know necessarily if it was on pastimes or partially due to the fact that they were massively understaffed out of nowhere. Uh, apparently, they had a lot of no call, no show judges that happened which is not great for an event. So our 1030 event didn't actually start opening booster packs until like 1115 build ended around like noon round three didn't even start until like three o'clock in the afternoon for a 1030 event, which is kind of, it's kind of bad. So fortunately by that point, Lindsay and I, we stomped game one. She had a Michael off with a whisper silk cloak on it. And our opponent had played a coat of arms. Mm. why they did that i don't know but they did and we won <laughs> it was great we uh lost the next game our opponent i just was stuck on lands i only had like four or five lands i just my deck was not drawing well mm. and then our we were about to drop and then i was like wait a minute let me go check ask about prizes I'm like oh no no, you have to wait till round three to get prizes i'm like oh, i can't drop it round two and just get our ticket so we waited around three and there was 
one group that went to turns and in two headed giant turns go to third turns. Uh, there's only three turns. Yeah, it's the third turns. It took twenty minutes. They were finishing the game twenty minutes after time in the round had ended. Jeez. Like I get it. Once the time thing isn't time crunch isn't a hassle, you can still like take your time. But that essentially equivalents to active player your turn zero. Each one of those turns took five minutes average. It was bad. And then they couldn't find somebody else's like they had one outstanding slip after everybody had turned it in. So they didn't know what the heck was going on. Anyway, fortunately, Lindsay was like, we, we were like wait, waiting, debating on going like walking over to the other side of uh, the hall to pick up some deck boxes that were exclusive for the uh, Ultimate Guard Sidewinders. The con exclusive mm-hmm. colors. And like I said, okay, fine. Just start going. They'll probably start the round. She got halfway across the convention center hall, which they just, this time they just had everything in one giant straight shot. She made it halfway. I'm like, Lindsay, get back. They're starting the round. So we get there. I put my bag. I'm like, so how you gentlemen doing? And two guys are like, okay. And I'm like, scooping or splitting. And they're like, oh, do you want to split? Because we want to split. And I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) So we both split and got six prize tickets each per person. So between the two of us, Lindsay and I got 12, and we just opened a bunch of random booster packs. Uh, nothing too crazy, I think, to report card-wise. I forget. Oh, I opened another Demonic Tutor, so I'm two for two on opening those. That's nice. It's pretty nice. They're sweet little 35 bucks right there. That said, uh, definitely do that. Command Fest DC was an absolute utter blast. I cannot thank Star City Games enough. I did post a big, massive tweet thread about it. Uh, if you also want to just go look at that, plus check out all the pictures I've been retweeting over the weekend. Basically, Star City Games, I wasn't quite a special guest, but I was like special guest adjacent, I guess is the best way you can call it. Uh, I was the cosplay handler for the cosplay crew of, oh boy, let me see if I can get these all off the top of my head. There's like <laughs> six of them. So Olivia, Gober Hicks, yeah. uh, Sydney, Tab Toe Claws, uh, let's see here. Ashlyn, Nissa Cosplay, Nadine, uh, Vanessa Lee Cosplay, and the return of Christine Sprankle. Who? Hey. Oh, and there was supposed to be Gabby Kuhn, uh, but she was sick all weekend and couldn't make it. So we missed her. It was sad, but whatever. Also, Vanessa's husband, Mason, if you look at the sun or the photos from Sunday when in the casual Planeswalkers, he was PJ Pajama Jace. So ah yes, that was Vanessa's husband in there. I unfortunately goofed and didn't say, "Yo, if you're doing a group on Sunday, let me get in on that," because I might have been pajama Ralph Eric, which would have been kind of cool. But oops, we'll see next time. But yeah, so it was great. Got to hang out with a whole bunch of great people. Um, got to meet uh Alec Kessler from Masters of Modern podcast. Uh-huh. Cass is a hell of a dude. Hanging out with him all weekend was fun. Got to jam a bunch of games of Commander. Uh, continued my streak of somehow taking... A, so Olivia has a ton of Commander decks. Obviously, she's on the CAG, uh, Commander Advisory Group. And just let me... I'm like, Olivia, let me borrow one of the decks. So she's like, just say, here, just take this one. It's like low power. Just do whatever with it. Yeah, I make those things dance in my hands. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but I, I get the puppet strings and I just like make them do like the hello my baby like just dance across the table like they gave me a chain veil i don't know why the table let me get a chain veil on the battlefield but i had chain veil with four swamps uh 
Phyrexian all uh basically two of the uh colorless lands. One was Phyrexian Tower and another one was another Phyrexian. It's like you sack a creature, add two black, or another one to get something back. Yeah, Phyrexian back. Tower. The other one's sack a creature, get something or pay two, get something back from your graveyard, one of those two. Phyrexian it, Reclamation? No, it's a land. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's it's okay. color, it taps for colors and then you can do get some back from your graveyard to your hand. And then I had a Cabal Coffers, so I technically had like eight mana. They let me cast Chain Veil with a Liliana of the Dark Realms on five. So I was able to oh, uptake no. it to six and then pop it for to get all of my swamps then tapping for four black each. So the oh, next no. turn I untapped with like uh, 25 mana available to me. That's a lot. In a mono black deck with mm-hmm. a couple X spells, which is kind of great. I just barely lost to Stephen Green from Commander Versus. He ended up using a Nexus of Fate with a Niv-Mizzet deck that had a Locust God out with like nine buzzers. He's like, uh, take 19 and then Nexus of Fate, take 20. And I'm like, yep, I'm dead. Good games. <laughs> like, I had no flyers. <laughs> so it's a fun game. Plus, I also opened a couple of their Gold Rush packs. Now their Gold Rush packs are these little things they usually have in their command zone where you get a random legend from magic's history and this could be everything from like a 50 cent legend creature like uncommon creature from dominaria like raph capuchin i knew somebody who opened a raph uh you can mm. get the planeswalker teferi from the the uh, c14 commander 14 decks Ooh. all the way back to legend yeah to legends I opened Sliver Hive Lord from M15. Oh, right. That was the other one I opened. I opened a Sliver Hive Lord the week prior at PAX as well. So that was kind of cool. And then I got... Ja- Hold on. Let me pull up the actual dude's name. Where is it? Nope, that's not it. There it is. Nope, that's not it either. Eh, nope. There it is. Zhao Zilong Tiger General from Portal 3 Kingdoms. Oh, yeah. He is a three-white-white legendary creature, human soldier warrior with horsemanship. Whenever Zhao Zilong Tiger General blocks, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And it's a 3-3. Three, three. Mm. It's a $56 card. Hey. <laughs> but the real spice was, if you follow me on Twitter, I don't know if I posted. Yeah, I posted about it. I got a Hazazon Tamar, which, yeah, is, which is the four and the Naya 2-4 legendary creature human warrior from Legends. That is a $130 card at near mint, but it, I think it's like slightly played, so it's not as expensive. But it's a reserveless card. So cool. But what's so special about him compared to some other uh, legend creatures? I, side note, I know somebody who got a legend, a creature from legends that was four green, white, four, seven. Yeah. That's it. That's the card. Uh, Joriel. No. I don't know. What's it, her name? Jasmine Boreal? I don't know. It was from legends. It was just a vanilla, like a vanilla 4-7 for 6 or something like that. It was ridiculous. Anyway. But Hazazon Tamar, when he enters the battlefield, create X-1-1 sand warrior creature tokens that are red, green, and white at the beginning of your next upkeep, where X is the number of lands you control at that time. So basically, like, he enters the battlefield, you gotta wait a turn, and then he makes a whole bunch of dudes. Um, according to the Oracle text, when Hazazon Tamar enters the battlefield, create X-1-1 red sand... X-1-1... Sand Warrior creature tokens that are green, white, and white at the beginning of your next upkeep. Yeah. Where X, is the, where X is the number of lands you control at that time. Oh, also, when he leaves the battlefield, exile all you, Sand Warriors. So you can't... Which is weird. You, it, you can't use him for weird blink effects unless you're doing stuff like, 
I don't know, impact tremors, perforos, uh, goblin bombardment. You know, you just start such a weird phrasing of that ability, but whatever. Yeah, it's weird, but he's cool. And I'm going to make a deck with him and it's going to be flavorful. I think I'm just going to focus on like warriors and ramp. So we'll see how that goes, but expect. So kind of like tipping the hand at some 2020 podcast topics before we get into our full thing here. I'll wrap it up a little bit in the next minute or two for this, but uh, expect a Hazazam Tamar EDH deck tech build thing. Kind of like we did like forever ago. Yes, with Akili. Yeah, but I want to do this for Hazazon because I want to play him on Olivia's stream. So that'll be fun. Well, you can't play Animar there anymore, so. <laughs> Dude, I played, <laughs> let me tell you about Animar. <laughs> I played him at a, we, they, the guest pass that I had let me play two free constructed events. And one of them like was, a, I played the casual commander, two round constructed pods. And I was like, hey, look, here's the, I was going to play this. I think it was. Yarok or Rahan and Ravos? It was either Yarok. Yeah, one of those two. But then I was like, someone's like, hey, so what, like, I can't keep the ticket, so I'm just going to give it out if you show me some cool, fun, spicy stuff. So one of them was like, oh, we're playing spicy? So then she brought out a Kalia deck, and I'm like, all right, we're playing this game now? Sweet. <laughs> the This little the kid was like 14, like there was like a little lady, and this kid who was like 14 years old or whatever had a Vanifar pod deck. Yeah. And then another guy, a gentleman sitting across from me was like, I was in his 40s. It's like, oh, I'm going to pull this cool. I'm going to pull. Oh, we're going cool. I'll pull this deck out. It's Selenia Dark Angel. Ooh. So what that one would do is it had effects like Phyrexian Unlife. And then there's this artifact that's like Liches something where basically you don't lose if you have zero life. Yeah. uh, There's Phyrexian Unlife. There's Liches Mastery. No. No. Yeah. No, it wasn't Mastery. It was like Liches. I don't know. The Mirror? Might have been. I don't remember. But then you have like Angel's Grace. And such like that. But basically the point of the, the thing is to basically you get Selenia out. And then you play one of these cards that lets you dip your life total down below zero. Because Selenia Dark Angel is a three white black flyer. It's a three three I believe. Stats it co- is. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. And it has. is Alright. So it has the pay two life ability. Is there anything else besides that or no? Nope. It just says okay. pay two oh, life. I got it. Pay, you know, pay two life. Return Selenia to your hand. Yep. So what you can do is the whole point of the deck is to cast one of those spells, let you go below zero, and you and you sack yourself down below zero by holding priority every time you you pay the two to return it to it your hand. So you basically just pay two all the way down to below zero, and then it plays a bunch of effects where it makes everyone's life total equal to the lowest life total in the game or it swaps life totals or that kind of thing like that. So you basically... Oh, Axis of Mortality has to be in there. Please tell me it's in there. Which one is that? Is that like four... Uh, Axis of Mortality is from Ixalan. It's a mythic. It's four white, white enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may have two target players exchange life totals. I think that's in there. There was this black card that's like three or four black pips that makes everyone's life total equal to the lowest in the game. Oof. He, funnily enough, he did that towards the end. We got actually went to turns. And so basically, I would decide to say, all right, Animar is an enchantment. It is not swinging because Animar has protection from white and black, which means Animar has protection from one entire deck and two thirds of another deck. That was actually more like 70 to 80% because the red was kind of a splash in the Kalia deck. So I was like, that's never attacking. That's just going to make my stuff cheaper. So I, I, I was like, is this deck is like actually casual? I'm like, I'm going to play it casual. (laughs) (laughs) 
until about like the last turn or two. And I was just like, all right, you want to see this deck pop off? And I was like, sure. Because basically I passed a turn and I said, okay, your turn zero, everyone else gets one more turn. So I, I had the last turn. Like I was really sure. like, if I did not win, it would have ended in a four-way tie due to time. So I was like, right. I will be like, funnily enough, going into that, like passing the turn to turn zero, I played a Craterhoof Behemoth that gave my entire board like plus 17, plus 17. And I said, pass the turn. Jeez. <laughs> well, the thing is, our my the opponent had made everyone's life total six. Mm. So I was like, show me you can kill us. And like, basically he went off and like ended up, we had a couple counter fights and stuff like that where it ended up killing two of the other players off. And then the, or no, basically the, the pod player, I countered one of his abilities that would have actually like let him pot off again. I stopped him from potting like twice in the game. It was kind of bad, actually. Oof. He played the corridor monitor, mm, which would have let him yes. start his pod chain. But I had Inox survivalist flipped upright, but I had a Vesuvian shapeshifter morphed. Ooh. <laughs> so Vesuvian shapeshifter unmorphed copies the unmorph ability off of Inox survivalist to blow up his corridor monitor. And then just, I had a repeatable blow up your artifact and enchantment. It was great. There you go. Uh, but anyway, so I was able to like use a whole bunch of things to flicker. I had like an Ewit in my hand that I had drawn off of a Tishana that got me like 17 cards. It was gross. I basically just popped off and showed them my deck doing dumb stuff. And then I passed. I basically was like, you get 10 tickets, you get 10 tickets, you get 10 tickets. Winner gets 20. But since I won, Seleni deck, you did some awesome stuff. So you get 10. And pod deck, I stopped you a couple times from potting off. You get 10. So I couldn't there keep the go. tickets. It was a great time. Uh, Star City Games, you did a great job. I know you had, I know they had a last minute kind of thing. These were thrown together very last minute. If you've really talked or seen anybody who was actually in the organizing thing for any of these corporations that had to run it, like uh, Channel Fireball Pastimes and Star City had to, uh, for something that was kind of slapdash last minute, like, hey, we see these things are kind of popular. Let's capitalize on Commander. They did a great job. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the 2020 editions do. Uh, I think they had a blast. It was great being the cosplay handler. Couldn't have asked for a better group of friends to hang out with all weekend and work for. Uh, yeah. Basically, I just like, hey, you guys need me to go grab coffee run. Or it was rainy two of the days. And I was like, pull up to the hotel under an awning, get, hop in the, have them hop in the car. Even, just, even though the convention center is literally around the corner from the hotel. Like it's a three minute walk. That's a three minute walk in cosplay outside in the rain, which is yeah, that's not fun. Not fun. So I literally just dropped them off at the door, helped out Star City Games with them and all that kind of stuff, and more than happy to do it again for them. And yeah, it was a great time. So if you if you get a chance to go to a Command Fest in your area next year, do so. If if Commander and Casual thing. Oh, I would also highly recommend. If you want to know a lot more about Command Fest, even though it's Masters of Modern podcast, go listen to their episode after you've listened to this one this week because Ben Bateman wasn't there. I watched them talk about it earlier today, but Alex and I forget their producer, secondary co-host, they were just basically talking about Command Fest DC for a large chunk of the time. He does a lot better job. He's going to go into it more depth than I do because we need to talk about other things on the podcast this week rather than... Yeah, you said you are going to finish up in a minute or two. And, and that was five minutes, minutes ago, I know. Anyways, let's jump into the BNR's announcements that happened yesterday. 
the big announcement was in Pioneer. There were no changes in any other formats. Well, there wasn't. Uh, Pioneer, there wasn't technically a BNR. It was just a ban announcement for Pioneer. But there was also a BNR announcement that said no changes. But then there's the Pioneer. Oh yeah, yeah, right. There was one, an actual one. Yes. Well, to be uh, to the, be fair, other formats, you know, didn't need it. They're fine for now. Yeah. Um, for, the Pioneer announcement is. Uh, they're they're ripping the bandaid off Oko because the food the Simic food ramp decks had a sixty percent non mirror win percentage against most decks, which is really really good. Egregious, um, <laughs> egregious, yes. And they banned Nexus of Fate because it was the next best deck, and they were like, we don't want this around. And I'm really happy people, because I don't want to see Nexus in the format either. Yeah, some people were saying like, oh, you should have banned Wilderness Reclamation, and I know some people will die on that hill saying that Wilderness Reclamation should be is the problematic card. Of that, however, Nexus of Fate is a straight Busto Magic card, and it yeah yeah it 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 needed to go. But yeah, the thing is, like, I think that its last ability shouldn't have been a if it shouldn't have been a replacement effect, but should have been a trigger, and it would have been a little bit better. But that's not the world we live in. In terms of what, so those two cards are now gone. The other announcement about BNRs is that. We won't know when the next BNR announcement is going to be, and Wizards is basically saying instead of going on a schedule, we're going to reserve the right to be more flexible when we need to address bannings in the various formats that we have to govern. And for the record, remember, Commander is not run by Wizards. That's run by an out, a separate company, or not company, but a separate entity in the Commander Rules Committee. Sheldon. With, and and this- yeah, Sheldon with with advising from the Commander Advisory Group. And the rest of the people like Rules Olivia Committee. and Shivam are in. Yeah. I actually got to hang out a little bit with uh, Sheldon. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Uh, but Commander is going to stay quarterly because I agree with their sentiment that their format doesn't need bans or, or addressing as often or as frequently as wizards needs to address the more competitive formats right and if something god forbid does get printed that just utterly snaps commander in two they have the ability as a separate entity to essentially emergency ban like it's it's kind of a bad phrase to use it's very loaded but yeah they have the ability to just be like yeah this card is literally breaking our format we have the ability to step in right now and jump ahead of the schedule and nip this in the bud yeah but I, I don't – the flexibility is kind of weird in a grinder sense for the regular BNRs. I mean I agree with the sentiment that, you know, what are we going to do? And I I, oh, I want to say it was like Alexander Hain or someone sent out a tweet where it's like, you know, it's round four of a GP. Your deck got banned between round three and round four. Uh, this is the third GP in a row that you've had to switch decks in the middle of the tournament. Uh, it's like – I don't think it's ever going to get that bad. It, like it was Hain. It was it was the year is twenty twenty two. You managed to win the first three rounds of the tournament before getting a card from your deck banned. A new record. You normally carry twelve decks with you to each tournament. Round four, your cyborg gets bandaged just as you finish game one. You love the uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's really tongue in cheek to poke fun at it, but other games don't have that strict schedule of BNRs, and having that schedule is nice as a as a player. But I think that Wizards would like the flexibility that other companies have now. Companies like Hearthstone and Direwolf Digital, you know, the makers of Hearthstone and Eternal, respectively, they have the ability to, you know, modify cards. But they don't do that on a schedule. They address it whenever it comes up and whenever it's necessary. Now, banning a card is a much harsher penalty as opposed to, you know, modifying how a card works. Like recently, Eternal decided that after four years of having literal actual lightning bolt in their format – 
they decided to turn Lightning Bolt into Chain Lightning, and it's still really good. Uh, I mean, to be fair, Chain Lightning is still a really good magic card. Yes, <laughs> it is. Um, and so it's just it's sorcery that, speed, and your opponent can copy it. But at the same time, you can then copy the copy if you have the mana. Yeah. Point being, they turned it from being an instant an instant to a sorcery, and you know, in Eternal, if you wanted to, you could then dust whatever ones you had, and then re- and then for full value if you had made them yourselves. Um, and that's a flexibility that they have that Wizards doesn't because it's also a paper game and Wizards doesn't like off, you know, giving out errata to cards because they want you to be able to read the card and be able to play the card as written. So I understand that. I think the flexibility is going to be a net positive overall. It's just that I think that some people are overblown at how, you know, Wizards not having a schedule for these things is going to hurt when if we look at like the past year or so, we've had a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of intervening banning various cards but imagine if we had two less weeks of oko standard imagine if we had two or like a month less of kci modern that's the benefit that we're going to get yes it hurts on the grinder sense but at the same time the player base generally knows what the ban ban worthy cards are so it's i'm not that i think it's going to be a net positive but i understand the uncertainty from a consumer perspective yeah so with that i do want to say that I'm going to touch back on the lovely guys over at Masters of Modern, whose podcast might not covering this won't even be out yet. Hey, I don't know. I, I think it takes a day or two to get it out. Anyway, basically, they touched on the fact that like we had to sit through some lame duck GPs this year with cards that we knew were egregious and knew were bad and knew were overpowered and we're going to get a ban in a week. But we had a GP the week before it that had to deal with it this case in point being gp vegas aka gp hogak because that was the week before hogak was banned in modern however you're not gonna ban hogak emergency or you know bump up the ban like a week or two right before the gp be like oh yeah by the way everybody who's already planning on has all their stuff going out to vegas by the way everyone's deck you're just just gotten validated you need to go get another deck now with three days to go before you fly out to vegas kind of thing so everyone just kind of like resigned them like they could have easily they knew hogak was a problem the week after the previous bnr and they were like we need to see if it's a little worse and they're like dude it's still bad it's still really bad and it kept getting worse and kept getting worse and they're like well we have this modern gp that's basically sacrificed to the altar of hogak because we can't jump in the way three weeks prior but now they can so that kind of thing i like the uncertainty though of it was kind of like hey after this week, we got one coming up in three weeks. Cool, but the I will say the test, that the, test that the test case of Pioneer I think was kind of nice, where it lets them be like, "Yep, nothing this week. See you next week." Yep. I will say that the the uncertainty in the bands gets worse the older the format gets because if you have a band in Legacy or Restriction in Vintage or a band in Modern, that's going to have a little less impact, I think, than a band in Standard or a band in Pioneer. Well, it'll. I may be incorrect on that. I don't think I am. That's because I said it. But I feel <laughs> like you know, if we if we ban Oka, well, not Oka. I guess Oka is a bad example. If we ban Nexus of Fate in Pioneer, that's different from banning KCI in Modern or banning Urza in Modern. Yeah, well, those, does that make sense? Yeah, because those kind of decks, you'll have a little bit longer recovery time to, or you might have backups already that you've had, you know, an established deck be- beforehand that you switched over to the new one because you know. 
obviously Urza decks right now of the blue green X variety are kind of the deck du jour because Oko well, that's mainly because of Oko, but Oko, that's beside the point. Well, yeah, Oko and Urza combined are just Urza, Oko, and Emery are a very powerful engine. But I was yeah, reading, I was reading online today. Some people were do, had doing the uh, the num- Oko numbers watch, and apparently, right now, Oko is making up a percentage of the ma- uh, meta game in terms of showing up in main decks in like thirty, like thirty percent of main decks in the format right now, which is larger than. Splinter Twin was when it was banned. Basically, if you're playing Blue Green X, you're playing Oko. Which good thing I'm not playing Blue Green X. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never even gonna get a chance to play it in Modern, man. Like, there's no tournaments between now and like the next BNR on January sixth. Hey, you've got you've got Legacy Night at your at your uh, LGS tomorrow. Yeah, I got Christmas stuff I'm taking care of. That's understandable. I haven't I'm probably not touching it for like another week. Or I'm not totally. touching magic. I'm not touching magic for like another week or two. Totally reasonable. Yeah. I mean we're I'm gonna definitely prep our, you know, first episode of the year, which is this recording on the seventh, coming out on the eighth. I'll I'll be taking notes yep. for that topic. But yeah. Either way, it's uh yeah, it's a heck of a thing. So Anyways, so that's kind of it for the BNR stuff. Um, obviously, right now, kind of we touched Oko and Nexus needed to go in Pioneer. Oko is now on the chopping, or Oko, you're now on the watch list for modern, essentially. Um, no, he's on the chopping block. You've seen those food tokens. He's on the, yeah. Honestly, I would, I was saying like even like a week or two ago before somebody showed me the percent that he's showing up in deck list, I was like, ah, Urza will probably die for Oko's sins at this point. To be fair, Urza might just be still Busto anyway without her. I am fine with Urza existing. Yeah. I am less fine with Oko existing, but I'm still okay with Oko existing. I think that the fact that the two are being played in combination is troubling, but there's no way to separate them because I do not think that deck-specific bannings would go over well in Modern or in any Magic format for the record. Ban Mox Opal. Which by that I mean you can't play Oko in the same deck you play Urza. Ban Mox Opal. There we go. I I I fixed it. Banning Mox Opal would solve a lot of problems. And I think that, that eventually it will get to that point, but I don't think Wizards is going to get there anytime it soon. It keeps... I'm expecting... Other powerful cards keep coming out, and it keeps dodging the bullet. It's hilarious how that card has been, like, no. on on watch for years now. I am anticipating playing against a fair number of Oko decks when I go to Magic Fest Austin on the 10th. Is that modern? It is modern. Ah, rats. Yeah. The next speaking the of next, the next shot that well, we'll get to that in a second. But the next shot I have at modern just to wrap mine up is like potentially being the modern seat at Richmond beginning of February. So after the ban. But anyway, speaking of Austin, Austin. Yeah, there was some Austin, there was a esports announcement, <laughs> which I kind of don't like, but that's not the point. Esports. Um, there were some changes to the Mythic Invitational stuff. I can. Which I'll, is, I'll, I'll touch on that briefly. So. Three invitational events for the calendar next year are Ikoria, Lair Behemoths, May 14th to the 17th, Core 2021, July 23rd through 26th, and Zendikar Rising, October 22nd through the 25th. Uh, these events are actually going up to 128 invitations, up from the previous announced 64, which is great, and they're a four-day event now. It's a long yeah. time. Um, essentially, I think the breakdowns I saw is that it's going to be like 20-some slots for the MPL 30 some slots for rivals there'd be a couple like 
Pro Tour returning champion kind of invites and stuff. And that you might basically get half of the field as discretionary invites, depending on how they break it down. So, and then there's also the invites from the mythic qualifiers that are going to take place. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So, yeah, no, it's 30 something for the arena qualifiers, and then like 32, and there might be 32 just at large discretionary invites, which is a great amount of invites, honestly, if they are able to it break is. it down that way, because that means you can get people who get, you know, get some people from the community in there. Like, that would be kind of really yeah. sweet to see, like, hey, this popular streamer who doesn't necessarily grind the ladder, but is popular, let's get them in there and get them on camera kind of thing. I mean, heck, look, yeah, what, look, what, happened, about- look at what happened in the last MC. Like, Ali Warfield just straight up crushed it. Yeah, if you're going to complain about the number one mythic ranked person in standard making the Pro Tour, I have problems. Right? And even then, like, there were people who made it to this one, like, this past one who to stream and do a bunch of good job and but aren't on the rivals train and which at this point i don't think we actually touched on rivals a lot if at all what that is so that's so mpl rivals is essentially now the feeder league which i guess you could call it like pro rel the pro pro promotion relegation kind of thing now with mpl being like the top tier it's close to that premier league yeah it's premier league in the relegation yeah. yeah premier league and europa league kind of thing like that where yeah. Basically, you, you perform well enough, you stay in the top tier. If not, you get relegated down to like it's using like AAA in American sports isn't great because that's the amateur level and not quite the pro. But this is like two pro. It's like levels. Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Yeah, you're basically on deck to kick butt in the Rivals League to get a shot to move up into MPL, which is kind of nice. So basically, the people who like fell off the train plus a couple of discretionary invites and everything like that. There was an article or two written last week or two. But anyway, yep. there's some changes to Mythic Point Challenges that was announced today. But then also the Team Series Finals. And Austin, John, you want to talk about this? Sure. Well, first off, I didn't even realize they were still doing the Team Series Finals, but that's not the point. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be the- fair, that we can actually make that a point, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, so the Team Series Finals, which is taking place between Team Ultimate Guard and Team Har- Haruya? Haruya Sword. Haru Sword is going to be taking place at Magic Fest Austin. It's going to be streamed live on Twitch uh, at 9 a.m. Central Time, I believe, or Eastern Time. One of those two. Yeah. At Magic Fest Austin, there it is going to be Theros Beyond Death Limited in t- a team sealed or draft format. I forget team which drafts. one exactly. Team draft. Team draft. Ooh, team draft. Even better. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be streamed starting at 9 a.m. Winner gets 100. Gonna, winner gets 100,000. Runner up takes 50,000, which is not bad for a for a six way split on your team. Uh, and then after that, once they're done with the team draft, they're going to stream the top eight of Magic Fest Austin, which is modern. So that's going to be really exciting. And I'm going to be at Magic Fest Austin. So hi. Yeah, if you're there, say hi to him. But uh, the yeah the the, the the drama the but there's there's always a but with that, this is that the coverage for the team series finals as well I guess as the follow up top eight for Magic Fest Austin was diverted from G- from Magic Fest Portland. Which is at the end of this year? It's this weekend. It's uh, this weekend. So the coverage from that was going to be this weekend got pushed to Austin so that they can show the Team Series Finals. Cool. Which I'm glad the Team Series Finals is being streamed because I was assuming it wasn't. So I'm glad it is. I uh, I forgot about the dang Team Series, which is sad because we we had done whole episodes on like yeah. going over, hey, here's the new teams for this year. Who's going to be great? What teams are going to be awesome? And it literally well, just, considering it fell the- off the map this year because of MPL. 
Well, considering that the Wizards said that this was going to be the last year for it right. as well is right. You know, we kind of just made people not care and then they stopped promoting it. So nobody cared. And 2019 has been one hell of a decade. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in, in January. Um, but we'll see how this progresses forward for coverage for future events. I know that the top eight of, of GP Austin being streamed is going to be exciting. I'd rather, you know, get the entire event streamed, but. Hey, look. It's hard to get, it's hard to compete with a team series finals versus day two of a GP. Look, I'll take I team draft over yeah. regular draft over sealed. But sure, I think like team draft slash modern kind of like goes head to head. But if it's like team draft at this level, I'm okay with it a little bit. Again, my I'm, biggest, I'm fine with. I'm. I would rather this be streamed over day two of a GP than the other way around. Right. My my biggest. Yikes, though, and I want to have this in the nose is you already kind of touched on is the fact that they did divert an entire GP's worth of coverage basically to cover this Team Series Finals. We've known this Team Series Finals was coming all year. We just didn't know like roughly when, when it was going to happen and a little bit more details on it, which were revealed this week. The fact that they didn't plan or have the budget set for the 2020 you, you you knew if it was going to happen in 2020, but yes, it is the 2019 Team Series Finals. How does that like factor in the budgetary thing? Did you not realize that you needed to cover this kind of thing? I just it's baffling to me personally. Yeah, and in, in a year where Wizards was like, we're no longer going to stream a majority of the GPS to do other things with coverage and have coverage where it is this year, which was fine, but not great. Is, is a little to literally a little to literally we had like I think it was seven maybe eight to take one of those seven away and shift it to the next calendar year for a team series event that nobody cares about much anymore because you stopped promoting it seven months ago or five six months ago whatever it was after like hey these got teams got set like three mythic championships ago it's like okay but to be fair. I honestly think that might be I, – I really am curious if they saw the numbers from this weekend's GP Oklahoma City, which was standard, which had 320 – was it 382? Yeah, I, I saw like 368 or it was something like, like that, but it was low. 382 players, which was the lowest at an American GP since like 2005 and one of the all-time lowest numbers basically going back to like – G the one of the very first ever GPDC like which was GPDC back in like 1999. So you had to go back like 05 just to get that low of a US based GP. Day two had like 62 people in it. There were people like Frank. It was funny. Frank Carson was like at six and zero and was like, "Say I'm six and zero, might be locked for top eight. Like at six and zero on day one, and was already making like jokes about like I might actually be already like almost a numerical lock for." top eight he wasn't quite on the miracle lock but he ended up making the top eight anyway yeah, <laughs> funnily yeah. enough seth manfield had a nice re rebuttal to that I was like you're the math guy asking us a math question here <laughs> listen when frank carson runs the numbers you know they're good but he has to run the numbers first yeah right and he just didn't have between rounds not have time to run the numbers so funnily enough at uh command fest dc this week weekend we were talking about this and saw the numbers i just like threw it out in the eighth row i was like you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if GP Portland this weekend gets under 500 people in the main event. And Alex Kessler took that bet. <laughs> so we, mm. we have a $2 bet riding on the, the over under 
five hundred. So what if it's exactly five hundred? It's a push. Mm, we each get a dollar. <laughs> good, good job. I mean, that's that's uh, why it's two dollars, right? You split it. Sure. Um, yeah. Now we have about eighteen minutes to talk about Thursday Beyond Death spoilers. That's fine. I think we've, <laughs> I think we've talked that to de- to death for now. So Thursday Beyond Death. <laughs> Sixteen minutes to talk about Elspeth's son's nemesis and why everybody is wrong about her. Um, John, get off your soapbox. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could probably devote an entire episode to it, but I'm not going to. Um, people are Elspeth? people who say this card stinks. I don't know what you're smoking, but whatever. Anyway, so Els- Elspeth's son's nemesis is the basically the face card of the set. She's probably the best card in the set, unless they print Thoughtseize in this, which they shouldn't. Please, but no. Elspeth, son's nemesis, two white, white for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker. Elspeth, that's that's a high loyalty, and we've had a lot of planeswalkers with high loyalty, like Oko and. The Royal Scions, but in standard right now, but those also cost three mana, and Elspeth costs four mana. So you see that you're thinking pretty good, okay? But she she doesn't have any plus abilities, okay? Or zero abilities. That's okay. So her minus one is up to two target creatures you control each get plus two plus one until end of turn, okay? Which is a pretty good effect. Minus two, create two one one white human soldier creature tokens. Not bad. They say human because of the human non human theme in Throne of Eldraine. By the way, 100%. That's why it says that. Uh, minus three, you gain five life, which is not that much of an ultimate. In fact, compared to like a Johnny Mentor of Heroes ultimate of like minus eight, gain 100 life. It's, it's not great. So I'll say, um, I'll flat out say this that minus three should not even be considered an ultimate. It's one of those minus abilities that's just not, it's, an, it's a minus, it's a stabilization minus. That's it. Yeah. And uh, her ultimate, if there is one, is called Escape. Uh, escape is one of the new mechanics in Theros Beyond Death because the veil between the underworld and Theros is weakening, or whatever. Uh, but Escape reads, uh, you pay a mana, and then you exile a number of cards from your graveyard, and then you can cast that card from your graveyard. For Elspeth, it's four white-white, and exile four other cards from your graveyard. So whatever the colorless Elf- mana is, that's how many cards you exile. I don't think at that's least, at least true. In, At least in some cases. Um, I know. Okay. Underworld Ragehound is three red. Exile three other cards. Yeah, and that's the only other so one. Maybe. That's the only other one we've seen so far. So maybe it isn't. Um, but point is, um, you get to cast her from your graveyard. So her plus ability, if she has one, is the fact that you can cast her for six mana and four cards from your graveyard, and then do it all over again. So a general play pattern that you can play with Elspeth is really easy. Play her on turn four, minus two, make two dudes. Next turn, minus two, make two more dudes. Next turn, minus one, pump two of your dudes, cast her from exile on turn six for or via escape, minus one again, pump your other two dudes, and then you're attacking for 12 on turn six, which is pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. Now- It's not bad. It's not bad. It's really good. And she's going to be a recurrable threat, which is going to be really hard for control decks to beat. Uh, the only counter spell that, that exiles currently is syncopate. I expect that number to go up. There currently aren't any removal spells that exile Planeswalkers. I expect that to happen sometime in this set or maybe next set. Who knows? But here's the thing with Elspeth that people are latching onto and they're so, so wrong about. Is they're like, minus three is gain five life. That is awful. That is not a minus three ability. And I will agree. Elspeth's son's champion has a minus three of destroy all creatures with power four or greater, which is a much more powerful ability than Chaplain's Blessing, which is gain five life. But the reason why it's a minus three is because if she, if it was any less, if it was a minus two or God forbid a minus one, then Elspeth's son's nemesis would be the best aggro hoser of all time. Because you'll play Elspeth on turn four, you'll minus one to gain five life as the control deck, you'll go from like 15 to 20, or if the aggro deck hasn't hit you 20 to 25, 
And then you have a Planeswalker with four loyalty, and your aggro opponent's going to have a bunch of little creatures, and they're going to attack you, or they're going to kill your Elspeth. Yeah. And then you not only had to gain five life, but you had a Thog. The fact that she starts at five and minus is three to gain five life means that she goes down to two loyalty, which means a Shock will take her out, which means any two-power creature, which the aggro decks are going to have for one mana nowadays, is going to be able to take her out as well, and then the rest of that damage is going to go to your face. Yep. So, the, And then because she's recurrable, that's the big reason. She's recurrable, so you can cast her again and just keep gaining this life. So that's why it's a minus three and not any less. And everyone else, everyone knows, everyone at Wizards knows that minus three for gain five life is awful. But the fact that Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis, is recurrable and is able and casts herself throughout the rest of the game for the most part is why it has to be that way. Also, I was talking to somebody who does cube design and they think that Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis is better or as good as Elspeth Knight Errant in Cube, which Elspeth Knight Errant for the longest time was like the second best Planeswalker ever made. I mean, for creature decks, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Elspeth Sun's Nemesis is going to be really good in control. She's going to be really good in aggro, I think. Uh, mid-range is going to be an interesting place to see where she ends up. Um, but I think that she's going to be a major player in standard. I think that it's possible we could see her in older formats. I did have a small, com- a short conversation with uh, Evan Irwin about the whole Delve-esque part of the escape mechanic. But the thing is that you're paying mana and removing cards from your graveyard to cast Elspeth, which isn't always going to be a guarantee. Yeah, it's a... She's a good card. Yes, she is. But anyways, that's enough about Elspeth. Uh, Ian, tell us about Ashiok. So this is not like my old friend Splashiok Nightmare Weaver, but this is... You could splash this Ashiok. I mean, it's it's not one blue black, but Ashiok Nightmare Muse is three blue-black for a five-loyalty legendary Planeswalker Ashiok. So, again, a five-loyalty five-mana Planeswalker is not a bad rate. Uh, Ashiok reads, plus one, create a two-three blue-and-black nightmare creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Minus three, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, then that player exiles a card from their hand. So... If you're somehow able to get them to a hellbent state, you can bounce something and then they have to exile it. So it's a weird kind of removal if you're able to run out their hand, which isn't bad. Uh, But minus seven, you may cast up to three face-up cards your opponent owns from exile without paying their mana costs. So there are a couple of cards that like you kind of, for instance, Bomac Courier, right? Where they exile Mm -hmm. face down. That's why it has that face-up card because... Yep. For some ungodly reason, now with Pioneer, you have both face up and face down exile cards. They kind of have to actually explain that for sure. Well, they also don't want you ca- like trying to cast a mystery card under a Bomac Courier and see it's a mountain. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing too, is like you would have to turn those face up. But at that point, yeah. it's yeah, it's weird. The rules interactions don't really allow for that beyond this. So that's why it says face up. So what also works in the set? Well, they've got exile. So or escape so they have so you can be using that elspeth and they could be just be like well let me pop these cards away and they might pop something decent away that you might have countered or killed be like well there's no way for me to get it back but they have to be wary and relevant or wary of the relevant ability of ashiok to be like well you just put some nice stuff in exile for me already sweet yeah it's a really interesting take on the using the exile as a resource uh similar to the way that ingest uh and processors worked in um in battle for zendikar i honestly think this is better so, than that it is i agree like and um, to be fair it's actually super on flavor from what we've seen in these uh set videos because 
technically you can look at the exile zone in this set as the underworld or a little bit yeah like basically the love the area where you know they were in the trailer yeah um i'll say this about ashiok the design for the for the planeswalker in general is kind of underwhelming compared to elspeth it's your generic five mana planeswalker plus one to plus one to you know protect like you know protect itself minus to draw a card or whatever and then ultimate that should hopefully win you the game uh, I think that this Ashiok plays really well with all the other Ashioks, which I think is a net positive. Um, and I, but I don't know how good minus three to recoil, which is one, which is a one blue black sorcery, uh, return target permanent to his owner's hand. That opponent discards a, that player discards a card. This is um, a little bit better because it makes it playable with the exile. But at the same time, what's also kind of cool, like you said, it plays well with the other Ashioks. Like it works with uh, Nightmare Weaver. It works with Nightmare Weaver and it works with uh, Dream Render. Yeah, because that one, you minus one, you can mill four and then exile all opponents' it, graveyards. It, yeah. Um, which is like, okay, also, fuel your other Ashiok, which, I mean, heck, Ashiok Tribal might be hilarious. It, it, it will be hilarious. That's definitely true. Uh, one other thing that I'll say about the Planeswalkers before we move also, on. Also, Devo's back, so yay. Yeah. We have Ashiok Nightmare Muse as compared to Ashiok Nightmare Weaver. We have Elspeth Sun's Nemesis compared to Elspeth Sun's Champion. We know there's one other Planeswalker in the set based on um, some of the other announcements because there's some really beautiful borderless art for the Ashiok and the Elspeth. I'm guessing that the other Planeswalker is a Xenagos, and it has some, and its epithet is going to be something along the lines of Revel because we have Xenagos the Reveler and Theros. Do you think it's Xenagos? That's what I'm calling. If Elspeth can come back, I think the Xenagos can come back. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I'm not going to put any money on it because I'm probably wrong. I've stayed away from but spoilers, I think, but... Well, I I just think that that would just be too perfect for a storytelling vehicle to look at the original Theros, look at Theros Beyond Death, and you have Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis, Ashiok, Nightmare Muse, with very clear kind of drawbacks to the previous versions yep. for it not to be something along those lines. But we will see. I will be intrigued to see how that goes. So- Yes. Before we hop on to any other cards, I just want to mention we did get to see the Planeswalker deck versions of Elspeth and Ashiok revealed mm-hmm. to us uh, by two cosplayers in the MTG community. Christine Sprankle actually got to reveal Elspeth Undaunted Hero, and another one, Kinsady, uh Trish, got to un- re- unveil uh, Ashiok Sculptor of Fears. So Elspeth Undaunted Hero is a two triple white five loyalty planeswalker with a plus two play a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Minus two, search your library and or graveyard for a card named Sunlit Hoplite. Put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. And minus eight, until end of turn, creatures you control gain flying, get plus X plus X, where X is your devotion to white. So it's you have to uptick twice before you can down twit once. And it's only until end of turn, unlike the OG uh, Knight Errant's uh, emblem, which gave a static. Mm-hmm. And then you got Ashiok, Sculptor of Fears, four blue-black for a four loyalty planeswalker with a plus two draw card. Each player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. Minus five, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And minus 11, gain control of all creatures target opponent controls. I think that's going to be hilarious and casual. Like that is Ashiok Sculptor of Fears is like a quintessential casual level planeswalker. Mm-hmm. And Elspeth Undaunted Hero will definitely see some play in, I would assume, plus one, plus one counter style decks like, I don't know, Rehan Ravos kind of thing. Yep. 
but you have to skew heavily white in those decks, and those are usually like splashing white. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean, Abzan Counters has been a deck in the past for like casual play, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll find out. Um, next card I wanted to talk about is a card that I think is really good. Uh, Staggering Insight. It's blue white for a enchantment aura at uncommon. It enchants a creature. The enchanted creature gets plus one plus one, has lifelink, and whenever this creature does combat damage to a player, draw a card. This is drawing comparisons to Curious Obsession, which I think this is better than Curious Obsession, but it's also two mana compared to one mana, multicolor as opposed to monocolor. Um, it also doesn't but the real it doesn't have the weird gameplay drawback of if you, you have, have to, to attack, attack yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think is that Staggering Insight, I think, compares very favorably to a one of the best auras of all time in uh, Armadillo Cloak slash Unflinching Courage. Both of those are basically one green-white enchantment creature. Uh, creature gets plus two, plus two, lifelink, and trample. Well, and I think that Armadillo Cloak gets, very gains life on damage. You can double stack it with lifelink. You can double stack it, yes, but functionally, functional life that's what yeah. they do. Sorry, I had to step so, in because you can double tap on lifelinker with certain... Yes. Uh, pants deck. yeah you can't put you can't put like multiple armadillo cloaks on a creature and gain like twice that much life yes <laughs> i'm aware of that interaction yeah. no i um, just had to make sure people at home that's all yeah so i think staggering insight is going to be really really good um whether or not it's playing standard will be interesting to see um next card that you want to talk about is what? it's your boy daxos <laughs> he's back daxos blessed by the sun last time we saw him he was daxos the returned but now he's a demigod because there's all sorts of shenaniganery going on. Uh, he's got, funnily enough, his uh, his uh, returned mask is actually now a shield on his arm bracer. It's, it's, yes. Uh, it has a little Pegasus, uh, I think, from, I think it's... I don't know where Miletus, the Pegasus Miletus? came from. It is could it, be. Isn't, isn't, I mean, it was an original, I, I original Daxus and Miletus. Uh, yeah, it was Daxus and Miletus. I think that might be like the city symbol for Miletus. Anyway. I believe it. Anyway, Daxos, Blessed by the Sun, is... A white, white, uncommon, two star. Uh, what? Yeah. So legendary. He's also a legendary enchantment creature demigod. Daxos's yeah. toughness is equal to your devotion to white. So at worst, Daxos is a bear. He's a two-two. Yeah. So he's a strictly better bear. Uh, whenever another creature you control enters the battlefield or dies, you gain one life. I said, hey, this I've already seen like decks for a pioneer going around that are basically like soul sister life gain decks. I just call it soul siblings now. Yep. Straight up chunk chunk this bad boy in with like what was it? Uh a Johnny's Pride Mate and the Ajani that mm-hmm. makes a Johnny's Pride Mates. That's no wait, that's green white. Never mind. Yeah. But Daxos Blessed by the Sun is uh he's, is really, really he's cool. Solid. I mean I would rather the power and toughness scale to devotion to white, but you know, again, at worst, he's a strictly better bear. You have, you go soul sister or one drop into Daxos. Daxos is a two, three for two, which is also really good stats. You play something else after him. Daxos is probably going to be a two, four going to make it really hard to block. Not easy to attack though, which is my kind of downside to Daxos because I'm always looking for creatures that attack and deal damage. Um, granted, I have played Soulfire Grandmaster in a mono white deck in cube, and I've not been ashamed about it, so yeah. I don't know if I want to talk. Well, I mean, what's kind of cool, too, is you can use him as a commander. You can use him as a brawl yes. man. Like, yeah. I mean, the fact that he can command a kind of mono white life gain deck now is kind of cool. Yeah. So. I agree. I figured that was um, kind of thing. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I think the last thing that we really want to discuss now that we can't say for, for later is... 
so you know, there's a there's this thing that people have been asking for, which is like, we have full art lands. Why don't we get full text lands? Which I think is kind of silly. But this is the closest that we're going to get to them, which are these full art uh, Nyx lands that look gorgeous. Basically, pe- um, bas- basically, people are saying they're, they're, they to get, put it in your mind's eye if you haven't seen them yet, but you might have seen Pokemon cards. It's essentially the Pokemon, the Pokemon energy cards, but they're yeah. pretty rad. Yeah, and they're going to be in foil. You get one of these in every pack, and you get two of these. I think you get two foil ones in every collector's booster, which is going to help the foil prices of these. And then there's regular non-basic land or regular basic lands as well. Um, like if you get the bundle of the like the um, the previously known as fat pack, uh, there's a basic land pack. Those are going to have the regular basics, not these. Um, but but these are going to be really really good. But the art the art is the same. It's just shrunk down to a. Oh no, they have different art. They have uh, they have actual they, entirely oh, different. Art. Those arts are cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, entirely different arts, which are still really cool and still so really. So each rad. one of these, so, um, oh, yeah. So I want to touch on those real quick. They actually have an above and below world, like yeah. an underworld theme. Like a lot of them have chains or like giant massive columns that are kind of like supporting yeah. the uh, the above world, which is kind of sick. Yeah. Um, Sam Burley knocked it out of the park with these cards. Um, they are, or these lands. These are great. I think he also, he also did these the, he also did the regular ones from the fat packs too. Yeah. I, uh, and I think I want to get these lands for my cube. I think good luck. You and you and a lot yeah. of other people. <laughs> it's going to be easier than unstable lands. No, that's for no, sure. Seriously. But so yeah. we, uh, so aside from, we mentioned mechanics wise, escape is one of them. Devotion obviously is coming back. Uh, they are also bringing back sagas. We know yep. of one of those so far. Uh, Constellation as a mechanic is also back. So for those who weren't around, it's whenever an, en- an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, something happens. Uh, the one we saw for this one is Satessan Champion, two and a green, one, three human warrior uh, at rare. Constellation, whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Satessan Champion and draw a card. So, yeah, this is a traditionally a green ability and Satessan Champion looks good to be pretty strong. Yeah, as like we mentioned, the one of the and there's actually a thread that I tweeted out from or retweeted from Ethan Fleischer about how they designed Constellation for this set because in Journey into Nyx, when Constellation debuted, it was all on enchantment creatures. This this time around, they're putting it on non-enchantment so they could kind of juice it up a little bit more. Um, and then the other thing we've seen previewed is they've re- they've shown us a few enchantment creatures. Yeah. Back in Theros, they all they made a rule that all the enchantment creatures have to have some sort of static ability or do something. Um, but we actually the first two enchantment creatures we've seen besides Daxos are vanilla. There's Nyxborn Corsair, one white white for a two four enchantment creature centaur scout, and there is Nyxborn Colossus, three GGG for a six seven enchantment creature giant. I'm just sad we're not getting uh oh god, what's the dinosaur? Oh, which dinosaur? You know which one? The six six for six. <laughs> oh, colossal dreadmall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nyxborn Nyxborn Dreadmall. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but also because Theros focuses on enchantments, there's going to be some cards that you would see that would have been like instances of sorceries that are enchantments. As an example, Meyer's Grasp was from one of the preview videos. It's one in a green for an enchantment or at common. An enchanted creature and the enchanted creature gets minus three, minus three. It's kind of as an example. Solid effect. Yeah. We've most recently seen this effect as kind of last gasp, which is one black white for an instant that gives a creature minus three, minus three until end of turn. Myers Grass being an enchantment is good because it can just kill X3s immediately. Or if your opponent has something big and scary like a Nyxborn Colossus, 
You suddenly turn that six seven into a three four, which is more manageable, but still pretty beefy. You know what I? You know, it's it's a stretch. I would love to see it return. Probably won't, but it's from this plane. I would love to see a Bile Blight reprint. Bile Blight would be pretty good. It would be better if Oka was still around. Yeah, but to kill to kill all the well, no, that doesn't that doesn't change the names though. No, they'd still be elks. Hmm. Yeah, I just I would love to see Bile Blight again. That was a solid. That was a solid card. Yeah, the only problem with Bio Blight when it was printed originally, which by the way, Bio Blight is black, black for an instant. Uh, target creature, target creature, and each other creature with that same name get minus three, minus three till end of turn. The problem was that it was in the same deck with Thoughtseize and Pack Rat, and was really good against Pack Rat, which made you want to play black. It was a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely a thing, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But that's it for now. There's there were a couple other cards that we could talk about, but we kind of hit on the high points: Els- Elspeth, Ashiok, Constellation, as well as uh, the escape mechanic. So be- I'm really excited to see see where this goes. Yeah, I believe by the time we record again on the seventh of January, 2020. Oh my god, <laughs> we will uh, probably have some other cards at that point. We'll talk briefly about them, and then our next episode. Do you mind? Do you mind just like kind of tipping the hand here? Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do our we're gonna, uh, we're gonna props and slops 2019. I have never heard it said that way, but I figured it out very quickly. Oh uh, well, I've always heard it in terms of so props and slops <laughs> was kind of a magic term that grinders would used to use back in the day for their uh, tourney report tournament reports write ups. Ah, they would like they would get do the tournament and all that kind of stuff, and then they'd have like a props and slops like, hey, props, here's the good stuff that ha- like here's some good things that happened. Slops, here's the bad things. Usually they see. I had never heard that before. I've heard props and slops, so I wanted to bring it back. <laughs> so we're, we're going to props and slops 2019 uh, at the, the the start of 2020 as our, we'll look back on the year that was in Magic and exactly because we got some homework to do. Because <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> stuff and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, Crack Clan Ironworks was this year, wasn't it? Yeah, and unfortunately, much as much as our current mythic champion wants to unban that card, it's not being it it's it it's not being unbanned. This is my this is my esports gamer face emoji. Arr. Well, that that's a good gimmick. I like. No, that, I love that gimmick. It was great. So for those who didn't know, the uh, the red angry face emoji uh, canister was using that during the event, and everyone's like, "What does it mean?" It's like, "Oh, it's the esports serious picture." You know, when you have your arms crossed and you're looking at the camera, and you're kind of just. Straight faced and glaring. That's the esports emoji. So yeah, got there. Anyway, anyways, Ian, if people want to find you on social medias, where can they you do? You can so? find me on Twitter at Dixonij. That's D I X O N I J. Uh, go check out some of the stuff that I was tweeting about this weekend from GP or not GP. Wow, Command Fest DC. Uh, go check out all that awesome content. And yeah, Twitter wa- or that was Twitter. Twitch wise. It's twitch.tv slash dicks. I have not streamed in the last two weeks or so. I have just been kind of needing to take a brain break after the other couple streams I was doing. As well as like, I want to play Pokemon. So, but the fact that I only have like two more days to do it before a holiday where I'm going to be at home, who knows? Look for a potential stream or two over the holiday season where I might stream a holiday cube or two, the vintage cube. I gotta get you on one of them but the when when does it go away does it go away like mid-January oh cool yeah definitely look for that like at least the first week of January I'm gonna get you on that first week I'm back John you're you're down for that right of course heck yeah anyway John where can they find you 
You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. That's J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. You can also find me on Twitch at that same handle. If you see me in a chat room, do not hesitate to say hi. I've also already started my cube tweets of Theros Beyond Death previews. It's There's some good stuff. There's some good stuff so far. If you want to use the podcast directly, you can do so in one of two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes and the Mize, or if you have a more personal question, you can shoot us an email at eyesandthemize at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>